0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Good Line Podcast. I'm Aaron Salvato. And I'm Brian Higgins. And we're here with Scott Sauls. How's it going, Scott? Hey guys, good to be with you. Good to have you. Scott, Scott you're, a, you're a pastor, you're an author. I'm currently reading your book, uh, A Gentle Answer. I'm very much enjoying it. Thanks thanks for jumping on the show with us, man. We We're, we're kind of on a quest right now to interview as many gifted authors and speakers and pastors and on our show. A lot of times it's episodes where Brian and I are just talking through theological concepts, but right now we're on a break and our goal is to kind of more sit back and learn from others. So, uh, we're excited to do that with you today.
1: Awesome. Well, glad to do that with you. sounds like a fun conversation.
0: (laughs) Yeah, man. So on that note to be really fun, I'm going to start out with this question. Scott, you know, I'd love for our listeners to kind of get to know you and your heart and who you are. And so the question I'd want to lead with is for you as a pastor, not just a pastor, but a Christian, what has been the hardest thing about the 2020s?
1: About the 2020s, yeah, it's it's almost like we've been through a whole decade. I I think we've probably a lot of us have spent <laughs> at least a decade of energy in the last you know nine months or so just trying to figure out how to navigate this time. I, I was actually in a text exchange with a fellow pastor here in Nashville, and you know we, we were just sort of you know comparing notes on on the challenges that that you know COVID has created you know for mm-hmm. our, our particular calling. And he said, "Have no fear. 2020 will end at some point, even if it doesn't do so until 2030." <laughs> so, <laughs> it feels like we're still we're still in the thick of of the of the crazy. But I, I think the hardest part, I, I think, it's probably two things, you guys. One is just being disconnected from so many people that I love, mm-hmm. and and maybe maybe disconnected is too strong a word because a lot of them have stayed connected through you know things like online worship services and things like that but from my perspective the camera only films in one direction and so yeah. you know i don't i don't i don't see a lot of you know hundreds and hundreds of people who see me i don't see them mm-hmm. and you know even the in person gathering experiences are a bit truncated because of covid sensitivities masks you know distancing and all that that we've we've contended with for so long but i, I may, maybe dis connected isn't the word maybe disembodied is yeah. the better word mm. i think the lord has made us to be together and mm. and to be able to touch each other and hug each other and shake hands and hug and and you know hear each other's voice in person and and you know have that proximity you know, so much is lost through the medium of digital Relating, it's it's wonderful to have this kind of technology where you know, for example, the three of us could connect in this way. But on the other hand, when you're talking about your primary community of people, there's really no substitute for for being in the same room. I, I don't yeah. think relationships were intended to be virtual, and and so so that's been a source of sadness for a lot what feels like a very long time. And the other the other part is just you know how crazy divisive the mm. the world has become and that you know the 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 churches have not been immune to that and Mm -hmm. we happen to have Mm -hmm. a pretty diverse actually a very diverse church along several lines you know and by design and by vision you know ethnically socioeconomically politically we've got some very significant diversity in our church which which we rejoice in and yet diversity also creates opportunity for 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 division yeah. in ways that sort of this homogeneous, monolithic way of doing community is less, is, is, is more immune to, which, mm. is, which is ironic, you know, mm. you would think that the thing God loves, diversity, would maybe be easier than, <laughs> you know, just a bunch of people who think the same way. But it's not. It's much harder, especially in the politically charged climate we've been in. So yeah. those have been kind of two areas of struggle and grief. God's bigger than those things, mm. but, but it's still been, still been a challenge for all of us. I imagine it has been for you guys too
0: yeah man. like you you just hit the nail on the head like <laughs> you're you're ministering to me just by sharing your experience. I, I I feel very similar in a lot of ways. you know, I haven't ministered in person to anybody in, in a while now, especially with a pregnant mm. wife. We're just taking a lot of precautions and you know, I've been leading a little Bible study online and you know it's great, but I just miss being in that room with people. I, I don't know, Brian, do you feel the same way?
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me that you're bringing up these two things side by side because mm. before you did that, I had never considered the possibility of them being connected. You know, I, I felt both of them. I've definitely felt the divisiveness that's in our culture right now and that's within the church right now. And, you mm. know, pick any group of people, it feels like it's in that group right now. And I've also felt the disconnectedness of relationships have felt lacking in depth at times there's been deliberate Mm -hmm. pulling back from relationships at times and Mm -hmm. all those different things do you see those two things as separate phenomenons that just happen to be happening at the same time or or do you see a connection between when we are disconnected from one another we wind up becoming more divisive or more prone Mm -hmm. to division
1: oh i think your 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 hunch is Spot on. Mm. Uh, it, again, I'll go back to the way we were made, the way we were created to be and to exist is is in community. We're we're created in a God who is, or in the image of a God who is is uh, Trinity, right? He's <laughs> he's completely one, and and also completely three, and completely inseparable. And the the only time that the Trinity experienced trauma was when the Son was temporarily disconnected from, mm. from the Father. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and, you know, the cross and the experience of the cross where Jesus takes on the sins of the world was a very real communal separation in the Trinity. And that's the only time in the history of the universe that the, the triune God has ever experienced trauma within himself. And being made in his image, we can naturally, you know, draw the line pretty easily about how separation from the fullness of community with our people is traumatic. You know, I I hate, you know, I I do some traveling for speaking and things like that. I I actually hate being gone for more than one night. One night's fine, right? Mm. But more than one night, my heart starts to ache for... (laughs) Especially mm. for my family. Yeah. If I you know, if our family's on vacation over a weekend, I actually have an ache by the time Sunday's over from for my church family because it's just mm. part of just such a part of part of the rhythm of my life. And so, you know, we can't underestimate the the impact that it's had on people psychologically, mm. sociologically, emotionally, spiritually. To be disconnected, it is not good to be alone. God spoke those words into paradise, and Mm. and so, if it's a disruptive experience to be isolated in paradise, when sin hasn't even entered the world yet, Mm. think about how much more disruptive and disorienting it is when sin has entered the world, and 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 we're isolated and alone. And so, Mm. I think it's. I don't think it's just been difficult. I think it's been traumatic for most people.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I think. I think all of us are gonna have some PTSD from from mm-hmm. this season in these years. I think everything that you're saying, it, it makes it makes so much sense. And I think what I would ask is how has God led you through this personally? Because what you're saying, it doesn't just affect pastors. This affects everybody, Christians. Like the separation from one another, the the disconnect, and and even the division beyond that has been very hard in this season for so many of us. So uh, how would you say the Lord has led you through it? Or how is he currently leading you through that? As a church or or personally? I'd go personally. Like, yeah, let's get to know you a little bit.
1: (sighs) Yeah, I mean, personally... You know, I, I think the Psalms for me have been been more vivid, you know, mm-hmm. emotionally and personally. They've been more vivid for me than they ever have before during this time. And of course, so many, especially the Psalms of David, right? You know, he wrote so many of them when he was isolated, you know, in a cave mm-hmm. running from King Saul or or, you know, awake at night you know, in his bed in the middle of the night, you know, a lot of those psalm experiences where were David praying from a place of isolation and, and sometimes even loneliness, deep loneliness. Mm-hmm. And and so those have been especially meaningful to me personally. And also Paul's prison letters, right, where, where he's kind of stuck in a jail cell and, you know, <laughs> especially Philippians, mm-hmm. where, you know, that's the letter of joy, right? Like somehow he says that I've learned this secret being content in any and every situation and so he's talking about that secret when he's isolated after being unjustly incarcerated for being faithful and and it's from there that he finds joy because of the presence of God but but he also says it's a secret mm. not everybody understands it it's something that you have to learn mm. i've learned the secret of contentment i can do all things through Christ through, who strengthens me and so you know, I've tried to latch on in my better moments of loneliness and disembodiment from people I love to those kinds of scriptures, and that's been very helpful. I also, you know, my wife is awesome, and we have meaningful conversations about these things all the time. I've got a, a great, you know, loving team of, of you know, pastors and, and, and friends as well that I get to connect with on a fairly mm-hmm. regular basis, not as much as we did before COVID. I hope that changes over time. I've tried to make it work, but, but, um, a little bit tired of zoom and all that, but except for things like this, of course. Right. But, but, <laughs> uh, really. yeah, mm.
0: that's good. That's good, man. I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your insight into that. I think that it's something that we're all going through and we have to learn through together. So thanks for sharing your wisdom. And, you know, one thing that I think we'd like to hear is about the book, a gentle answer. Can you break down for us? Why did you write the book? What's kind of the core thesis of the book, the main idea?
1: So the the core thesis originates with Proverbs 15, 1, which says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And hmm. of course the book, I wrote it before the pandemic started, right? It was in the publisher's hands about a year before COVID became a thing. And then, you know, the political you know the the trump biden competition <laughs> started to begin and you know fox news and cnn both went crazy the world <laughs> went crazy christians went crazy you know progressive christians conservative christians all went crazy yeah you know and the church divided like the red sea with a kind of division that the lord isn't behind and and i don't think i don't think it's recovered yet i, I think it's actually gotten worse yeah. I think that, you know, especially if you go to Twitter and you just, you just look at how, you know, different Christians from different, you know, different perspectives within orthodoxy are just, they're, are, are, are mirroring, you know, cable news rhetoric and all of that. And I, and I get so
0: depressed on Twitter. It's, it's uh, really
1: bad. It's a, it feels, yeah, it feels disheartening to say the least, but you know, sometimes I've, you know, I'm, I'm one of them. Sometimes I've, oh, mm. oh. Oh, did I really say that? Oh, got to delete mm. that, right? So mm. I think we're all susceptible because we're all kind of anxious right now, um, nervous. We're going to say the wrong thing, or we're going to we're going to say something right, but it gets wrongly interpreted and triggers somebody, you know. So it, it just it feels it feels a little bit unhinged, and, and maybe that's melodramatic. Maybe it's because I spend too much time scrolling through Twitter you know I do, I do i do think there's some life-giving signs of where the heart of of especially our western culture actually is right now two 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 realities that, that i would i would use to back that up the popularity of mr rogers again fred rogers and <laughs> mr rogers neighborhood one of the most gentle people that you know most, one of the most gentle famous people the world's ever known such a legend and the popularity of ted lasso and, and mm. you know, that, that, that Apple series of this man who's just so characterist, characteristically kind, right? I, I think there's a reason why those two are, mm. s- are such a phenomenon right now. I think there's a deep craving and longing for kindness. I just think we've maybe forgotten how to lean in to the Spirit's fruit of kindness. Mm. And, you know, because sometimes, sometimes even today people are getting canceled for being kind, you know, you're not speaking out enough. You're not angry enough. You're not mm. on our side enough with this this issue or that. And and even being kind wow. is is offensive in this in this climate in in some circles. And so, I think the only thing that can help us out of that is the Holy Spirit and the Person and work of Christ, the broad embrace of Christ, who, you know. Not only does he love his enemies, he tells us that that's actually what's going to help define us and, and identify us as his disciples in the world, is that we love our enemies. We actually don't just read and and preach verses mm-hmm. like, you know, blessed are you when people say all kinds of false things about you. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Great is your reward in heaven. Sounds so wonderful until you're actually in a situation that, that, that you know, and then it, but i I think now might be an opportunity for us to really learn a a new level and a deeper level of of discipleship Hmm. how do i steward you know my christian life and belief system in this climate seems to me that it's the same as it was in the time of christ who got crucified and the time of the apostles 11 of whom 11 of the 12 got you know martyred for their faith you know, the other one was stuck on a remote island in prison for his faith until he died of old age. Hmm. You know, maybe there's something in there that, that we as comfortable, cozy American Christians have never quite understood or cared to understand. But now maybe we're being on some level forced to, to hmm. lean into it and to consider these actual mm-hmm. things that Jesus said. But He didn't just actually say them. He actually meant them. Hmm. That there is a fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, hmm. which Paul described as becoming like him in his death. And, and becoming like mm-hmm. Jesus in his death means that there's going to be some rejection. Hmm. And the thing that's going to bring rejection on the most is oftentimes going to be humble faithfulness. And, and so part of the deal, maybe it's just an opportunity for Christians to live in a more biblical headspace. I don't know. Love that. Mm-hmm. Curious what your theory is yeah
2: i I wish I had one. I mean, the 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 question that kind of is coming to my mind in in all of what you were just sharing, the idea that the commonplace thinking of what will I probably get from a christian, you'd you'd brought up, we're repeating the news cycle. You know, we're repeating <laughs> what we're getting from Fox News or CNN. And when people are searching for kindness, they're going after Ted Lasso. and look, I love Ted Lasso. I think it's a really great show. but, if, it's on my list. Jason, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. I, I mean, it. it's whatever you think of the show, the idea that Jason Sudeikis, no, nothing against him as a guy, but like the idea that he has now become the bar of kindness in what <laughs> is supposed to be like a bastion of Christianity as a nation like that. That's absurd to me. And I, I look <laughs> at it and think there was such a huge opportunity. Like you're saying, clearly that hunger for kindness and compassion especially Mm. in the face of an enemy was there and Christians just missed it. And and I I won't even say Christians out there. I have missed it. You know, I'll, I'll Mm. personalize that. I I could have been better at being the kind of person that people are longing for. How do you think that we arrived at missing it this bad? Like what Mm. focus did we lose? What are we paying too much attention to? You know, this Mm. is clearly a character that's been shaped and cultivated do you have thoughts on how that cultivation happened? That's a good question.
1: Well, a character that's been shaped and cultivated is a great way to phrase it. I, I, think that, I think that there is a spiritual formation problem that's ubiquitous in the Western American church that is not being caused by the pandemic season, but that's being revealed by the pandemic season. Mm. It's always been the case, at least in my lifetime, Hmm. where a critical mass and I I wouldn't dare to say all Christians because this doesn't apply to all Christians there's hmm. some wonderful lovely people who are doing great work and and you know in public and private places and wonderful you know church communities are doing some fabulous things publicly and privately but there is a critical mass of, of thinking or, or not uh, that, that has been formed by you know by cable news hmm. by internet scrolling you know, I would imagine a lot of your listeners, just judging by your age, have seen the social dilemma on Netflix, you know, that where, you know, you've got these dot-com founders and professionals saying that, that yeah, we actually exist in Silicon Valley, Valley in order to monetize people's outrage, hmm. in order to exploit and capitalize on people's outrage by, you know, yeah. setting our algorithms to send things to your feed that stir your anger and mm. stir your outrage and stir division, because that's what makes money. You know, you, you see, you see Donald Trump, or on the one side, and then you, you know, the, the the angry rhetoric of Donald Trump, and then you see the angry rhetoric of Joe Biden or whomever on yeah. the on the left. You know, ten times a day. When's the last time you saw Mother Teresa on on mm. you know on cable yeah. news or or Fred Rogers, for that matter, and 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 so I think we've allowed ourselves to be formed. We've allowed ourselves to to be shaped by the things that we choose to spend our time and attention on. Yeah. That's just the way it works. What you hmm. look at is what you become. Yeah. Hmm. You know, King David says in Psalm twenty-seven, "One thing I ask for, one thing I seek, that I may behold." the beauty of the Lord and gaze upon him in his temple. You want to be like David? You know, read your Bible every day for 50 years Mm -hmm. whether you feel like it or not and make a covenant with your eyes like Job did not to look on impurity. Make a covenant with your ears about what you're going to listen to. Make a covenant with your eyes about you know what you're going to read. And that doesn't mean that we, you know, become these escapists that just eject ourselves out of the world but we have to rethink what it means to be in the world and not of it. Because mm. we, we've been in the world, which is a faithful thing. Mm. Christ came into the world to save sinners like us, right? But we haven't paid as much attention to, to being careful not to be of the world, right? We want to be counterculture, yeah. not against culture, but for the culture, yes. by yes. being different than the culture and set apart from the culture. That's what me, That's what holiness means. It means to be mm. set apart. It means to be distinctly different. And, you know, such that that, you know, non-Christian people actually look at the quality of our lives, look at the quality of our community, look at the quality of how we treat people who don't agree with us on this Mm -hmm. or that. And they say, man, their beliefs are pretty weird. You know, (laughs) virgin birth, guy coming up from the dead and walking on water. I don't know about all all that, but (laughs) but but man, they they are some of the kindest people I've Mm -hmm. ever met. Mm -hmm. It is so hard to 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 offend them. You know, it is so hard to to get them to punch me back. And, and it's so hard to bait them, you know, and, (laughs) and so I don't know, we've got a ways to go and Mm. I'm no sociologist, but that's kind of my armchair observation. Yeah. And I get sucked into it too, uh, for sure.
0: I think we all do honestly. And (laughs) so I think what you're saying is so important because it's not us trying to lecture everyone from our, you know, ivory tower. It's like, no, we're in the thick of it. We all struggle with this. I I love uh, the thing. One of the things that you said where it's like you were referencing how everybody is constantly spewing out the attitudes of the world and, and and the things that they read on the news. You know, you were saying, you know, when's the last time you saw Fred Rogers or or those type of things. And, and I, you know, one thing I ask myself when I'm looking at people's social media feeds and what they post, it's just political this, political that, political this, you know, it's their side's fault, it's their side's fault. And my thought is when when was the last time you saw the gospel being presented by Christians on their social media feeds? If you can look at somebody's social media feed and tell exactly what their political beliefs are, but you can't tell what they think about Jesus and who Jesus is to them and what Jesus has done in their life, I think that's a that's a big problem. You know, you you brought up being canceled for kindness and 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 you know that that spoke to me because I've actually been dealing with exactly something that you said on two separate occasions, I've had friends reach out to me and they were angry at me because I am not posting on my social media in their view, enough political stuff that affirms their side's way of thinking. And I've had friends on both sides of the political aisle do this to me where they're like, you're a pastor, you're a leader. Like, why, why aren't you, why aren't you talking trash about the other side? They're horrible. And I'm like, that's not what I'm here to do. Like I'm trying to reach everybody. I'm not just trying to reach political conservatives. I'm not just trying to reach progressives. I'm trying to reach people for Jesus. I, you know, I don't want to waste my time sitting around and and bashing people. I'll, I'll attack ideas all day, but I don't want to sit around, you know, attacking your enemies. I, I want to actually try to point everyone to Christ, but it's, it's hard to do. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. It is hard to do. I don't know what the answer is besides what we've already talked about, and that is fixing our our eyes on Christ. Mm. You know, as Hebrews says, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? Because, again, we become what we look at. We Mm. become what we fixate on. We become whatever it is that we organize our life and our attention around. And if we're becoming, you know, more and more deeply those who love Christ because we, we over time discover and rediscover again and again and again how deeply loved we are by Christ, it's true, isn't it? We always are going to most effortlessly share with others the things that bring our lives the most meaning, right? Like yeah. if I find if I find a great restaurant in Nashville, if we come, you know, my wife and I go out to a new restaurant and it's really great, what do we want to do immediately if we think, "Oh, this is one of the one of our top 5." We want to tell friends. Right. Because it was a wonderful experience. It was a wonderful encounter. I think the lack of evangelism probably points to You know that's that's just the tip of the iceberg but the iceberg might be a lack of encounter with Mm. with christ himself Mm -hmm. where we've you know like it says in you know revelation 2 about the church at ephesus maybe maybe we've we've lost our first love Mm. and you know need to get on the pathway of recovering you know that that first love that we had for christ
0: that's really good scott I think piggybacking off of what we're talking about now I'd like to I'd like to ask you actually some really tough questions because they're real questions a lot of times we can talk in theory about this stuff but I want to bring it to you know the very real reality so if if you're okay with this question you can you can let me know but i'd love to I'd love to hear what you had to say about this. I want to ask you for a moment about unity within our current cultural moment as the body of Christ within this moment of COVID specifically. So we're seeing all around the world, you know, governments trying to respond to what is happening with COVID and the perception of this response varies from church to church and even from individual to individual. So I want to set this up right. So I want to give you really briefly three scenarios and then I'm going to step back and kind of let you assess the big picture of it and give us your response. So scenario one, there's some Christians that look at the way the government is responding to COVID and their perception is the government is trying to help. They're trying to keep people safe and they think we should really listen to what they have to say and try our best to follow the guidelines. Situation two is there are some Christians who believe that COVID is a very real problem. They're not denying that COVID is an issue but they hold intention that belief with that belief that the government is really overstepping their boundaries and is encroaching on rights and freedoms of people. So for example, this could be someone who believes there's nothing nefarious about the vaccines, they think they're effective, but they also believe that no one should be forced to make a medical decision and that people should have the right to not get the vaccine if they so choose. So there's people on that spectrum and then the third category would be the Christian and even the pastor who believes that all of this covid stuff is really overhyped you know masks never worked they're all part of this conspiracy to teach us to comply to governments and vaccinations are possibly this nefarious dangerous partisan globalist plot and conspiracy and you know a part of being a faithful witness in, in this view is to oppose the government and vocally rail against the government and even to tell the church the congregants the followers to raise their voices and protest against what the perceived threat of the corrupt government is so We've got th- these. This is very real. Like I can think of specific churches, of even people that I know who attend, where th- these three realities are represented in in each of them. And so I just want to ask you, what does unity look like in the midst of this? Like, how how do we deal with this?
1: I feel like maybe there are one or two questions in there that that, or one or two directions I could go. Do you want specifically thoughts about, you know, the conspiracy posture <laughs> or the you know defend my own freedoms posture sure. or do, or or do you want me to go a different direction
0: I'm fine with that I mean I, I think we need to talk about it and I think we yeah. need to we need to acknowledge I'll just say this up front bef- before there are people who love Jesus and who have the Holy Spirit who fall into all three of those categories and it's easy to there whether are. no matter what side you're on of it it's easy to dismiss the yeah. people on the other side of it so how, how do yeah. we
1: find unity I so Again, the formation question. Mm. You know, what you look at is what you become. And if you look at cable news, especially your preferred cable news channel that serves all of your confirmation biases, that tells you what you want to hear, mm. your posture, if that is what you are formed the most by, if if you spend more time with Tucker Carlson or with Chris Cuomo or, you know, fill in the blank, whoever you're talk show hosts. There's nothing against those people, right? Both of them, I think, have some good things to say. Both of them get it wrong in, in other ways, right? Uh, let's just agree on that, if we can. Maybe we can't. But, <laughs> but if if we spend more time with Tucker Carlson or or with Chris Cuomo, you know, one on the right, one on the left, then we do with Christ and, and those who will, in our lives, direct us to Christ in, in some way, shape, or form— that is what's forming us. And if 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 political rhetoric, cable news, a social media outrage is where we choose to receive the vast majority of our input, mm. our posture will be to defend our own rights and not give a damn about our neighbor. Mm. And and you know, forgive my language there if that offends some of your listeners, that is a word that is in the Bible. So I'm just going to use it in this moment to make a forceful statement hmm. that if your primary concern is to defend your own rights, then you have it completely backwards as a follower of Christ. Because if you're gazing at Christ, if he is your primary source of input, what, what did he do? If you, be- hmm. if you become what you behold, Christ laid down his life. That's what he came to do. Not to hmm. be served, but to serve not to stick it to the man but but to but to you know love his enemies even mm. and mm. you know lays down his life and so if we're following Christ then it stands to reason that our first thought would be this how can i best take care of my neighbor mm. even if it means something costly to me and to my preferences mm and i'm going to show my hand here without getting dogmatic because i i do believe that you're right that there are very godly people in all three categories if we ask ourselves where is the greatest potential risk based on data based on what medical professional consensus is and, and I realize that no consensus is unanimous, but, but, the, mm. but the broad sweeping majority consensus, what is that? The broad sweeping major, majority consensus among medical, medical professionals, epidemiologists, you know, doctors everywhere, the data is in, uh, the hospital beds are full, mm. uh, oxygen is running out at hospitals all over the country because of people on ventilators. It is unvaccinated people. Who got COVID? Who are occupying those beds and who are yeah. fighting for their lives? Hmm. If, if, if even the New York Times, right? New York Times, one of the most liberal, progressive publications in the country, total mask wearing, you know, you know, you know, devotee. The the, the New York Times reported last week that if you've been vaccinated, you you have only a one in five thousand chance of getting hurt by the Delta variant. One in 5,000 if you've been vaccinated. And so there's data. We can ignore it. We can pay attention to it. But but if my neighbor is distressed on the basis of data that comes to us from experts, hmm. and and my primary concern is that I want to do whatever the heck I want, and even if it causes my neighbor distress, because maybe they're in a family with somebody who's got diabetes, or, or a- they've got a child with asthma who isn't old enough, doesn't qualify to get vaccinated yet. I am choosing to create distress for mm. my neighbor when all I gotta do is put something on my face. And, and I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. I don't like the way it looks. I don't like uh, the way that it impacts community life. I don't, like, I don't like anything about wearing a mask, except that it might have good potential to protect somebody. And I realize that might even be a controversial comment for some people, but if we look at the data, it seems like the safer bet, at least, is, is, is to listen to what medical professionals are saying and listen to what's happening in hospitals all over the country. And if we're not worried because we're vaccinated, let's let's be careful that we don't ignore people who are worried yeah. because they're at risk mm-hmm. and what that could mean mm-hmm. if we somehow contract the virus and get close to them and they contract it i don't know why it, I, it's just not to me it's not rocket science you know mm-hmm. and 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 i you know i lead a church our policy is you know we're not going to force anything mm-hmm. and you know our our hope is that it will only be vaccinated people who Sing and worship without masks. And those who are unvaccinated, we've made spaces that are safe, you know, you know outdoor space and, and, you know, a room over here where masks and distancing are required because of comorbidity issues and all of that, elderly. But the sanctuary, we, we've given freedom, but we've also got a very cooperative mm. a congregation who has not given us That's a whole lot of nice. grief. <laughs> but we've got people who've done great research on mm-hmm. our team too like we've done our homework and 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 so i didn't i didn't realize i was going to go off that long about it but no but I, all, I, the mo- most important exactly you question the, the the most important question a christian can ask in, under any circumstances is never what are my rights yeah that's never yeah. the right question mm-hmm. that's yeah. not a christian question it's yeah, not a I christian think, question i think we'd agree with that that's a partisan yeah. question it's not a christian question it's a selfish question not a Christian question. Mm. That being said, you know, if I'm Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., right, I'm not just fighting. He, he didn't just fight for his rights. He died for them, right? Mm-hmm. Like his, his activism mm-hmm. cost him something significant. Like he, he was fighting for the rights of an entire people group, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not just his own personal mm-hmm. rights and preferences, right? And so we got to make sure those distinctions are clear. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you don't fight for rights, it's just that, you know, my rights to do whatever the heck I want, that's not your right if you're a Christian. You're, you're a slave now mm-hmm. to somebody. Mm-hmm. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You belong to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says, mm-hmm. first command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second command is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in there about defending your own rights, standing up mm-hmm. for your freedoms. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, but it's a different kind of freedom. It's the freedom to serve. It's the freedom to give ourselves away. It's the freedom to die for our faith if we have to. Mm. But it's not a freedom to stick it to the man or especially to stick it to our scared neighbors. Mm. Mm. So,
2: There's something in that that I want to kind of poke at a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I think that when... When you personalize the situation, I think it makes it a lot easier for people to get on board. You know, if I Mm -hmm. have a scared neighbor, if I have an elderly grandparent, if I have a friend with comorbidities, then I I think Mm -hmm. that it gets easier for people to get in line with what you're saying of this is a good thing that's helping a person right in front of me. I think that people have a very different reaction thinking about the government and thinking Mm. about government mandates that are coming down. I even think people look at they even could look at Jesus and see his relationship with the poor and lowly as one of I want to lift you up Mm. and his relationship with the exalted and powerful as forget you guys, you don't even know what you're talking about, like you pilot your power's fake like get out of here like they they see it as like he needed to be the one to flip the power structure and and people can end up bringing that mentality to a a relationship with government that i i don't believe is the christian way to view the relationship with government how would you approach that element of the situation
1: the element of separation of church and state is that where you're getting at More so the idea of
2: I I think when when people see some kind of immediate danger to somebody, it's much easier Mm -hmm. to be more considerate. But the idea Mm -hmm. of the government has told me to do this thing at a grocery store to do this. The government has said it's not wise for us to meet together as a church. We should just kind of do our own research and we should do what we think is best to us and forget the government, resist the government, Mm -hmm. that's not what matters. We're the neighborhood. Let's just love our neighbors and we'll be fine. How would you respond Mm -hmm. to that mentality?
1: I would say there's probably a way to cooperate with the government and love your neighbor at the same time. I don't think it has to be an either-or proposition, but I mean, again, getting our cues from what the scriptures say, you know, there's a certain point where you have to resist, and that point is when government, commands that you disobey the Lord yeah and you know you've got that with Nebuchadnezzar you know saying hey bow to my statue or I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace and Daniel's three friends say throw us in the furnace if you have to but but we will not bow to your statue and our God will rescue us but even if he doesn't we we will stay faithful and loyal to him hmm. but if you if you if you look in that conversation pay attention to how respectfully they address him Hmm. Even as they resist him, hmm. you know they they say things like, "O oh, King, live forever." you know very respectful statements. Think about the way that that David talks to King Saul and addresses King Saul even 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 when King Saul's got a bounty on David's head, he, he speaks to him only with with you know honorable, respectful words by virtue of his position that God has placed him in, even when David confronts him you know, but refuses to hurt him when he has an opportunity. David confronts him and says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm only supportive of you. I don't know why you're, you're so aggressive toward me. You know, God will judge between you and me. He's stating facts without being belligerent. You look at the Apostle Paul, you know, the whole New Testament is written under the most horrific persecution against Christians imaginable. Hmm. And Paul is writing in the context where probably Nero uh, is the emperor and, you know, he talks about not resisting the, governor, the governing authorities, but, but honoring them and submitting to them. Peter, right. the same, in the same context. Fear God, honor the king. The two go together. Hmm. The two don't contradict each other. The two actually go hand in hand. Fear God, honor the king. And so if the government is asking us to disobey Christ, you know, uh, you know like, the, like Hitler and the Holocaust, give us your children so I can terminate them you know tell us where your jewish friends are so we can throw them in the gas chamber well that's a that's a faithful resistance Mm -hmm. you know that's a faithful no you know to to hitler's demands right and so i just don't know if cooperating with our local government is on that level or or not cooperating with our local government is on that level and i know the argument's been made well it's it's a command that we gather and worship well it is that's very true. And yeah. so it creates a it creates maybe a complexity in the conversation. We also have access to wonderful technology that enables right. us yes. to stay connected. You know, it, it's not ideal, but it enables safety and protection in a pandemic. And and so I don't know, man. I mean, one pastor in California got up and, you know, said boldly in front of his you know, crowded, unmasked congregation right in the middle of the pandemic, there is no pandemic. Yeah. And just kind of a middle finger to to state and local authorities. And, you know, kind of carried along for about a year and now we find out that there was a major outbreak in that church yep. that they covered yep. up for a while. How's your witness? <laughs> you know, how's right. how what does that do for the name of Christ? Yeah. Yeah. In a community that you're trying to demonstrate the beauty and love of Christ to? it it doesn't play well and and no. and so i don't know i i think that to the degree that we can say yes to our governing authorities we're going to have a better witness to our whole city than 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 we will when we say no when when god doesn't require us to say no mm-hmm. i don't think god requires us to say no to, to a request that that we consider staying home and Adopting other measures, using technologies, et cetera, for a while in order to cooperate with all of society to flatten the curve or whatever mm. to keep people safe. So, mm. those are some random thoughts.
0: the The place that my mind's going to with all that is you're bringing up things like. Paul's words to submit to the governing authorities, you know, and and I've heard people who have listed that verse and said, oh, well, that doesn't apply when the government is bad, you know, and, and really for a lot of Christians, what that means is it doesn't apply when the party that I don't like wins and they're in office. But I look at Peter, right, who wrote honor the emperor (laughs) at a time when Christians are being hunted down and and killed for their faith. And so it's this, it's this crazy dichotomy where it's like, we, we have to let these, these two realities coexist where it's like, we're a different people. We're part of a different kingdom. And yet we live on this earthly kingdom. And it's not, it's not like submit to the authorities in the sense of you're like, yes, everything you do is perfect. Like everything you do is godly and gracious. Peter writes, honor the emperor in a very hard time period for Christians And I have to ask, like, what is the motivation of it? And I think that it comes down to the motivation being not submit to the governing authorities because they're great. Submit to the governing authorities and honor the emperor because we have a witness. We have a role and a part to play. And when the secular society looks at Christians and it seems like all they care about is looking out for themselves and their own ambitions and their own rights and liberties— It looks like to the rest of the world, like we we couldn't give a flying flip about the unsaved people. I I I know non saved people that I've seen on social media where they're like, Yeah, the the Christians don't care about whether or not we die from COVID. They just care about their rights to do whatever they want. And and so I think that we hurt our witness when when that's our posture. So I I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I I think I think a a follow-up question to it would be though, you know. I would lean very strongly in the direction of everything that you're saying. I I think what can happen though, sometimes at least what I notice in my own tendency is I start to kind of lean towards one way of thinking and then anything that kind of contradicts that, anything that kind of sways to the other side, it's easy to kind of push past it. Like I I saw something the other day, uh, it was a video from France of a, a woman at a shopping mall who had like 10 policemen basically beat her in the mall because she was trying to enter the mall without a vaccine passport or whatever. And so I have friends who are very much on like the the other side of thinking where it's like, well, why aren't people speaking up about this? And so where do we find the balance in that? Like where it's like we have this heart posture of protecting people's health and as church leaders trying to lead well in that, but then also calling out oversteps, when those things happen, when it comes to governments?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough one because, we, you know, there's five things a day that can be called out, <laughs> you it's know, true. It's true. Mm-hmm. that somebody else does wrong in, in in our estimation of things. And so I, I think I think as Christians, you know, for every time we call something out, we should probably, you know, five times say, you know, something that we're for and on the side of like that um Hmm. you know but but we've also i think got to be judicious and selective about you know what our battles are going to be and what battles we ought to just leave to somebody else to fight um, because maybe it's not within the lane of our calling Hmm. you know for instance you know this may be controversial but white people who don't have black friends becoming black Lives matter activists on social media (laughs) right like like you know, live in the space for a little while, mm. you know, have have some you know, experience, the, the tension and costliness of real diversity before you become a social media expert on something that you're not living. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Like and I, I think a good general rule of thumb is don't don't call something out that doesn't cost you anything mm. because that just makes you a loudmouth. That just makes you what Paul called a clanging cymbal. Mm. I'm going to respect you if your message goes costs you. Mm. But you're not going to mm. persuade me if it doesn't cost you anything. And I, I think most people think think and feel that way. And so pick the battles that are battles where you're actually in the arena instead of the bleachers mm. in your personal life. And and kind of stick to those and cultivate the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control as your primary strategy for engagement, right? And also cultivate Jesus' logs and specks teaching. Look at the log in your own eye before you start calling out specks in other people's eyes right. rather than mm-hmm. thinking it's everybody else that has a log and it, you don't even have a speck in yours. You know, Humility is such a powerfully persuasive tool in, in the context of debate and, and difference. And, mm-hmm. and so, again, it's not rocket science. It's just getting back to discipleship as Jesus defined it, to become the kind of person that people want to listen to. <laughs> you know? Cool. Yeah. That your that your enemies want to listen to. Yeah. Or at least they're intrigued by, right? The rich young ruler didn't walk away from Jesus feeling beat up and scolded and excoriated. He walked away feeling sad. Mm. Why? Because it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Amazing. Even though he rejected Christ. This is Christ looked at him and loved him. Really you good. know, the disciples want to call down fire on the Samaritans when the Samaritan village rejected Christ and the disciples and and, you know, Lord, sh- should we call fire down on them? Show them who's boss. And, and it says that Jesus rebuked his disciples for having such a thought. Mm. And so, I don't know, I think we might be a, a bit more persuasive if we got back to those sorts of things.
0: Yeah, f- fully agree. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to Brian for a question, but something that you said reminded me uh, the other day. I saw a meme and it was a guy sitting in his laptop and it was during the week where all the stuff in Afghanistan was in the news. And it said, I'm done being a vaccine expert. This week I'm going to be a foreign policy expert. <laughs> and it's like that's just what everyone does. We think where everyone and their aunt Linda thinks that they're they're an expert. They're trying to turn their two cents into you know two thousand dollars on social media. So anyway,
2: Brian, go ahead. I want to possibly go the complete opposite direction of where this conversation has been headed. Hmm. Everything we're talking about is pursuing unity, building peace fostering a genuine community are we sure unity really matters i mean that's like the way extreme version of saying it but i guess is there some value in letting wrong things be wrong and and Mm. calling things out as wrong like eventually there has to be limits of unity and i think that that's where a lot of the conversation gets interesting in in my mind of where is the limit of and now we can no longer unite, you know, unity around the idea Mm -hmm. that we will be a community of serial killers. That's terrible unity. (laughs) Unity is doing bad things (laughs) for us in in that situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Where do we start making distinctions of unity to this point and then no further? And then we will become people who pick up the Bible verses of contend for the faith and Fighting the good fight and things along those lines.
1: Well, I think the answer is the same to both. You know, Christians have unity around the Apostles' Creed, for instance. You know, the essentials of 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 the faith that are shared by Christians of all denominations and tribes everywhere. I believe in you know, you know, God the Father Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ His only Son, our Lord, and so on. So, you know, to start there as as the basis for broad Christian unity but that's also the basis for for what we will <laughs> you know call out right mm. if if you especially in the name of Christ you know start publicly stating especially in the communities I'm part of that Christ wasn't really God you know that's probably something worth calling out mm. right because it contradicts an essential of the faith you know st. Augustine I believe it was said said in essentials unity in non-essentials charity mm. and in all things or I'm sorry in, in essentials unity and, and non-essentials liberty mm. and, and by non-essentials he meant things in the Bible that are kind of debatable mm-hmm. you know whether or not you baptize babies there's a case against it there's a decent case for it as well you know I could, I could add other things but you, I think you, you know the place of the charismatic gifts in the life of a believer mm-hmm. in a church, church family Whatever, you know, in those things, Mm -hmm. liberty. No judgment if we're in a different place. You know, you don't pass judgment on me, I don't pass judgment on you. We respect each other as people who love the Bible, love Jesus, etc. And in all things charity, right? Mm -hmm. That's even in in love your enemy stuff, right? In all things, that's truly like what Jesus said, love your enemies. Figure out what that means and lean into it. And the way we figure out what that means is looking at Christ himself, of course. But, you know... Calling stuff out there's another principle in the Bible that that I think might be helpful to consider just so we don't spend all of our time you know calling other people out all the time and you know alienating ourselves and getting ourselves to a place where we don't have any friends (laughs) except other angry people like us is how it says in Romans that at a certain point where people just continue to resist God he would reach out to them. He would plead with them. He would, you know, he would give consequences to, to people who resisted God. And it says, eventually, God just handed them over, <laughs> you know, in other words, just left them to the consequences of the path that they had chosen for themselves, right? You know, C.S. Lewis has this section in the Great Divorce where he talks about how hell is actually something we choose hell is hell is god giving us exactly what we ask for mm. hell is god saying okay when when we say i want the forbidden fruit i want uh to i want to live in the far country you know like the like the prodigal in luke 15 and god finally says after pursuing and you know all of those things okay and he hands you over and and let you go. I think sometimes, you know, if a Christian has a truly righteous form of indignation, sometimes, you know, we, we just have to get to the point of saying, I, 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 I gotta hand this thing over and let it play out, you know, let the way that God has structured the moral universe to work mm. play itself mm. out over time because this is clearly not a good stewardship of my yeah. time, my energy, my mind share. Um mm. Mm. And you know we've all got to put on our discernment has to to figure out when that time is. Mm. But Mm. we all have limited capacity. You know that's why you know I don't know that's why Mother Teresa spent her life serving the poor and didn't get into you know politics, (laughs) (laughs) right? She didn't have capacity for (laughs) politics. You know she had a lane and and she lived as well as she could Mm. in it. And then maybe other people, politics, the world politics is their lane. And so they don't have their they don't have the ability to, you know, go minister, you know, among the poor in Calcutta, like like Mother Teresa did. And so, you know, one body with many parts just, you know, to figure out what our part is and stay in that lane. Don't feel like we've got to jump on every bandwagon. Yeah, because Twitter says so.
0: That's a that's a good point. I, I love that. I think that politics has poisoned the way that we think as Christians and partisanship has poisoned the way that we think to the point where it causes us to, to selectively speak out. We show partiality in the way that we speak out. I remember at the height of the Black Lives Matter protests that were going on recently, it seemed like every progressive friend that I had, who was someone who identified, you know, as like, oh, this is how I present myself, I'm a progressive, they would be posting about pro- police brutality against minorities and, and and then everyone I knew who was conservative and the way that they identified it was, you know, the way that they presented themselves was conservative. They were speaking out at any time a police officer was killed in some way that was unjust. And but then they would refuse to acknowledge like when the other side, when the other person was being persecuted or affected, they, they would just ignore that and only speak out about the thing that sort of bolstered their side. And that's just as, as a pastor, I'm like, can't we just speak out? about both things? Like, can't we be upset about both groups of people being affected? And I I love this quote that I found from you on Twitter. This is from November 2018. But you said, uh, Christians who say Democrats are the answer. Why your silence and ambivalence on the unborn? And then Christians who say Republicans are the answer. Why your silence and ambivalence against refugees? A boldly partisan Christian in all its forms is a contradiction in terms. And I, I just think There's so much wisdom there. Can can you can you
1: expound on that a little bit? Can you break that down? Uh, Well, first of all, it's a good way to lose some friends if you make a (laughs) statement like that. (laughs) True, it's a message. You know, it's not that's not a popular statement in Mm. in some circles, but it it is what I believe to be true. And Mm. so, so yeah, you know, in terms of in terms of partisan politics, I don't think it's wrong for a Christian to favor, for instance, a certain party. I do think that it's a mistake to embrace what one sociologist called package deal ethics, Mm. where Mm. you embrace the entire platform without critical thinking, Mm. because the truth of the gospel will come in and both affirm the good and confront that which is not good in any partisan platform. And so in a sense, every Christian who's following the whole Jesus will never be able to be completely partisan in Mm. in their politics. They will have to, on some level and in some circumstances, feel a little bit isolated from their own party. Mm. And, you know, how powerful would it be? And I think Justin Gibney and Michael Ware have done a good job uh, at this, you know, with their work around, you know, and campaign Mm, and the conviction and compassion stuff. Of, of saying, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna have Christian integrity and take our take take the whole Jesus Christ public as best we can, then, you know, it, it nobody people aren't gonna be able to figure us out politically, mm, even yeah. if we do have leanings in one direction or another. People aren't gonna be able to figure us out. Right. And you know, I, one of the things I said to our church, and I, I think most of them got it is that I, I think the most zealous voices on behalf of you know the defense of the unborn in America should be Christian Democrats. Mm-hmm. I think Christian Democrats should be so deeply distressed uh, about what, the, what their own party platform says about the place of the unborn in the human community, that they are that they're, they're the loudest voices on mm. that issue. Not Christian Republicans, but Christian Democrats. Wow, wow. And in the same way, I think that Christian Republicans should should have some of the loudest voices around. You know, other other concerns that you talked about, like you know, the care of the alien, the stranger, and the refugee, right? Mm. And especially with with things like the crisis in Afghanistan going on right now. Now, and now I want to say this too: there are a ton of pro-life Democrats, and there are a ton of pro you know asylum seeker Republicans. I just think more of them need to get louder with that. Wow. You know, and and. And you know, I, I think that's where the, there's power in the protest, again, because if, 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 if a Christian Democrat goes public on pro-life for the unborn and a Christian Republican goes public on you know, pro-life for the born, you know, certain, certain communities that aren't typically publicly associated with their party, you know, that's going to land somewhere because those are costly public statements to make for those people. Again there's there's going to be a there's going to be a proportional relationship between impact and what it costs you to to say what you're saying what it yeah. costs you personally determines where your integrity actually is on the issue. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely.
0: And and I the vision that you're laying out I think is beautiful because so often we're so partisan as Christians and the way that we preach to our people is if the wrong side wins, the whole world is going to crumble and fall apart. And if that's what we're preaching, it's rejecting the idea of Jesus as king. Because if Jesus is king, we have, we like then his kingdom is at work, and it's on the move through the church, through the people. And so I think what you're suggesting, it, it creates this paradigm where for us as Christians, it's like, yeah, we might have a preference of who wins— But if if that doesn't happen, no matter who wins, Jesus is still king. And these issues are still being addressed by the church. It's like we're not just giving up because the government's not going to do it for us. We can address these things. We can address abortion. We can address refugees. We can address racial justice and all these things. And we can do it collectively as the church, regardless of
1: our individual political leanings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Keep talking. You sound good. Say more about that. <laughs> Thanks. Can uh, I do that? Can I, can, I, can I ask an interview question? Just ask you to keep, keep elaborating yeah, a little bit on that? <laughs> I mean, sure. I, you know,
0: I, I just think we put out an episode on this show during the height of the election where it was basically the, the title of the episode was if Jesus is king, that changes everything. And no matter who wins, Jesus is king. And I know for a lot of Christians that I know, I, I, I've grown up, I exist, I operate within the conservative Christian sphere, and so for me, I know most people I know the the people that they wanted to win didn't win. And so there, there's sort of this deflation and this defeatism in that where it's like, oh, man. And, and there's it's all this hope on, OK, well, in four years, maybe we get another shot at fashioning the world into our vision. But I just think the way that we fashion the world into our vision is through it's through the gospel. It's through spreading the gospel. It's through loving people. I just think the political partisanship side of things, it breeds a contempt And it breeds a hatred towards the other. And I see, right now, I see both sides doing this. I see progressives doing this. There's so much hate towards Christians and conservative Christians. And then I see, I've always, in the sphere I've grown up in, seen conservative Christians just have this contempt and hatred for progressives. And my thought is, if we are called to preach the gospel and make disciples, how are you going to reach the population if you hate half the population? Like, how are you going to get through to them if you preemptively hate them? You know, I I just think it's antithetical to the gospel.
1: It is antithetical to the gospel. Not much to add to that. (laughs) Jews and Gentiles, you know, Christ, you know, and the apostles all pressed in for Jews and Gentiles Mm. to lean in with one another. And, you know, the great commission, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I think it's helpful for us as Americans, as 21st century Americans as well along these lines, Mm. Helpful for us to remember that we are the ends of the earth. That that America has never been the center of the Christian story. Yeah. Uh, the, our part of the world wasn't even developed. You know, it was probably inhabited on some level by by Native Americans, but but it it wasn't it wasn't nearly as developed as the Middle East and you know Israel and 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 such were at the time. Mm. And you know our hope our hope as contemporary. Western American believers rests on the shoulders of a first century Middle Eastern Jewish man yeah. who very likely had brown skin, never spoke a word of English, never hung out with white people, was actually crucified by, by Anglo-Saxons. And you know and here we are, you know, the ends of the earth. We, he, he had us in mind to love us, to himself, mm. you know, for all the way from the Middle East and mm-hmm. and and knowing that should have i think a humbling effect that, mm-hmm. that Christ would reach this far not just geographically but socio politically economically he was he lived in poverty for the good part of his life he was never married you know so for churches who think the nuclear family is the center of christian existence you know neither jesus nor the apostle paul had a wife or biological children mm-hmm. you know and and here we are you know members of the family of god the bride of christ completely loved by him on our worst day uh, just as we are on our best day because of grace
2: mm-hmm To close on this, this one question, I, maybe I'm, I'm a listener that I've gone through this whole conversation. I am ready for unity. I am ready to be an agent of unity in the way that Jesus describes. I am confident it is going to get discouraging. Mm. I'm sure that you as a pastor over these last two years that have felt like a full decade, like we were saying before, (laughs) I'm sure that it gets discouraging to see the same old patterns creep up to see the same kind of outrage work its way into the church, what is it that keeps you motivated to Mm. preach this kind of peacemaking and this kind of unity? And how do you deal with the discouragement Mm. as sanctification is a slow process?
1: Well, thanks for those questions, Brian Um, and Aaron. Also, thank you for this whole conversation. It's been great. Uh, I, I, what did Paul say, So woe to me if I don't preach the gospel"? I mean, it's uh, like every other pastor. I've had moments over the past couple of years where I've thought, Gosh, I thought, God, let's just quit. Yeah, go move to Montana and write <laughs> books. You know, do the do the Eugene <laughs> Peterson thing. You know, and 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 you know, part of that life. You know, that life in some ways sounds really attractive. But then, you know, I'm struck with the thought of, "Gosh, if I don't if I don't get to." Preach the gospel. I I I think i all like, it'll be like losing a right or left arm until God releases me from that. It's just a real sense of strong internal calling mm. to keep on, you know, saying things I believe, whether you agree with me or not. You know, saying things that God is, I believe, can conv- convince me are true. So there's that. Mm. Um, and on the on the sanctification question, Brian, you know that 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 you can approach that question in in two directions one other people's sanctification the job of a pastor you know timothy paul says to timothy with great patience and careful instruction and and to you know really just heavily weigh the importance of 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 the fact that it is god not us who will complete the good work that god began Mm -hmm. in in other people and so so it's not my job to cram sanctification. It's my job to take a horse to the water. It's the horse's job to drink, and it's God's job to provide the water. You know, you know, God's the one who creates the stream, mm. and so good. I'm just, I'm just a pointer. I'm just, you know, as some have said, a beggar, you know, hoping to be able to tell other fellow beggars where where to find the bread, and hopefully they'll tell me the same thing because I I need to be reminded too. Mm. But I, you know, honestly, my answer to the question is my my. My biggest sanctification focus during this time has been my own. You know, mm. I, I I believe, Brian, that sorrows and hard seasons are given to us not to waste. You know, Paul, his thorn in the flesh, you know, teaching in second corinthians twelve is is so remarkable because he says, you know, to keep me from becoming conceited, and so there's a a character. You know, goal there to keep me from becoming conceited because of the, my surpassingly great revelations, because of all the remarkable ministry experiences that he, and spiritual highs that he had to keep me from becoming conceited. It says there was given me a thorn in my flesh. Now, the Greek word for given is, is, is the same Greek word that we get the word grace from, and yet he calls it a messenger of Satan. Mm. A messenger of Satan was graced to me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to remove the thorn. But the Lord said, my grace, there's that word again, my grace. You know, even this this tool of Satan, (laughs) this instrument of Satan is also an instrument of my grace, right? Mm. Yes, I'm giving Mm. Satan rope, just like I gave rope to Satan with Job, only enough with which to hang himself. (laughs) As you walk faithfully with me and as I make sure that you stay faithful because I'm your sovereign God. And I'm completing the work in you. You know, Paul says, um, you know, three times I pleaded with the Lord and the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That That's why I will delight all the more gladly. Delight, you guys, in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. I, I think everything in the pandemic is covered by those five words. And he says, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong because that's when the power of Christ rests on me. And so... Mm. Uh, if anything that is an invitation not to waste hard seasons and just wish them away Mm. but to see them as seasons where God might be forming in us what Romans 5 says you know you know calls perseverance which leads to character which leads to hope and hope does not disappoint because Mm. God has poured the love of Christ out on our hearts in Christ Jesus so there it is again you become what you behold you know the love of god poured out in christ jesus for us and so i don't know i I hope we won't waste it i i certainly don't want to waste the things that are hard for me during this season the disappointments that i encounter but at the same time i'd love for the pandemic to end like you guys would amen that that. would be terrific too
0: (laughs) oh man So good. Seriously, so much wisdom. We're so thankful. I'm even more motivated now to finish the book after this conversation. Uh, Not that I wasn't before (laughs) I was, but uh, you know, it's just great to meet you and and hear your heart. Thanks for sharing with us, man. I feel like we're we're, uh, two Bible college students again, you know, just sitting and receiving from a good teacher. So really, really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Scott.
1: Thanks so much, guys. It's great to be with you.
0: Awesome. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. If you like our show, please take a minute to give us a review on iTunes. It seriously helps so much. The more reviews we get, the more people will find us. And so if you want to help the show, please just go on iTunes and leave a quick review. We also love questions from listeners and we love to do episodes focused on questions. So if you have a question and you want us to talk about on the show, send it to our email address, which is goodlionnetwork at gmail.com send us a question we'd love to talk about it on the show The Good Lion Podcast is a production of the Calvary Global Network and it's produced by myself, Aaron Salvato, and my co-host, Brian Higgins. Our show is a part of the Good Lion Podcast Network, a network of Christian podcasters that Brian and I started with our friends. Check out our website, goodlion.io, where you can find a ton of other Christ-centered, encouraging, and equipping podcasts. Our goal with this ministry is to reach people all over the world with Christ-centered content that helps them as they walk closer with Jesus. If you like what we do and you want to support us, go to goodlion.io support. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.